Okay, we're here talking to former NHL player Gary Monahan, played mostly during the 70s and early 80s. Thanks for spending some time with us uh, today. My pleasure. Now, Gary, in my research, I uh, read that you were the first draft choice of all time. I know some of the listeners probably don't know exactly what that means, but maybe you can elaborate that and uh, tell us maybe what happened, obviously, before this uh, draft system was in place. Well, prior to 1963, there was only a six-team league in the NHL, and those six teams used to just wander around the countryside and have scouts and bird dogs all over Canada especially, and if they saw a player they liked, they would just sign him to what was called a C-form and then bring him to a, uh, a school or a hockey team that was, say, a junior team or even a midget team for that matter, and at that point they were in the system, if you will, and uh, work their way up, hopefully, to the NHL. I guess in 1963 or 1962, they realized that they were going to expand to uh, 12 teams, which happened in 1967. And so I suppose they decided they had to have a more equitable system in place, and so they went to a draft system. And the first draft happened to be in 1963, and Montreal, as you would expect, had the first choice and uh, for one reason or another, they chose me. I was playing at St. Mike's at the time, which is a school with an arena right on campus. And so I suppose I had more exposure and so on. At any rate, Montreal drafted me in 1963 and then sent me to Peterborough to play hockey. Uh, as a young, young uh, man, obviously, you were shipped off to Montreal to uh, start your NHL career. Uh, tell us what was it like being uh, probably 18 or so and uh, going to... As uh, some of our listeners may or may not know, obviously Quebec is a uh, French-speaking province, and uh, imagine that must have been fairly difficult. Well, it was difficult. I mean, uh, first of all, you were scared shitless. You know, <laughs> you went to uh, to Montreal, and as you say, uh, not too many people on the team spoke English, and you were playing with superstars like Jean Beliveau and Henry Richard and J.C. Tremblay, and Toe Blake was the coach, so these guys were my idols, I suppose, and as I say, they did speak English, except that their first language was French, and so they chose to speak French for the most part, and you can't blame them for that. But as you say, there I was, an English-speaking only rookie of 19 years old, and uh, afraid to make a move. Had been away from home in a sense, I suppose, but never to a... Well, I'm from Toronto, but still getting to Montreal and trying to learn the ways of the NHL was uh, intimidating, to say the least. So... And I was, at that time, a fairly shy guy, which is hard to believe. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I had a lot of trouble adjusting to that system. And uh, I found that the people at that time weren't used to a lot of rookies coming in, I suppose, because they had players there that played there for years and years and years, unlike today, where there's a lot more change on teams. And so I think I was uh, unusual to have a English-speaking-only rookie come in. And uh, I didn't find a real warm reception. I was kind of left on my own to sink or swim. Uh, obviously, the uh, purpose of gathering some of these interviews is for learning language. Did you find uh, that you picked up any French, or did you make... I know you weren't there for a long time, but did you make uh, sort of any progress in, uh, in learning French? Well, I had taken French in school for five or six years in high school. And so I did have a, a foundation of French when I went there. And I suppose I was there for, I'm not sure how long, let's say six or seven or eight months over a two-year period. And 
with the background that I had, uh, I did pick up French just by osmosis. I didn't uh, work at it anymore when I was in Montreal. But uh, I thought by the end of my stint there, I was chattering away in French. But uh, as you re- were you able to understand the coach yelling at you? <laughs> well, not so much. If they spoke too quickly, uh, I must admit I couldn't quite follow it. But uh, I could certainly make my way around restaurants and bars and and bus system and subway system and that sort of thing. Hmm. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, I see that uh, you, like many hockey players, are, are missing a few teeth up front. I wonder if you could maybe tell us if there's a uh, story behind that. Well, I suppose there is always a story. I, it was my first year of pro in the Montreal system, and they had sent me down to Houston, Texas, which was one of their farm teams. And uh, I was only, I guess, 20 years old at the time, maybe 19. And I was always told by my colleagues not to back-check. The coaches always wanted you to back check. But you could just maybe maybe elaborate on that. I know many of our listeners probably have no idea what uh, back checking would be, but there's two parts to the game. Uh, one's the defensive part. One's the offensive part. Most players want to take part mostly in the offensive part, where you're up there scoring all the goals. I did some of that, but I also had a tendency to want to come back and help out my own goaltender and play the defensive part of the game. And this particular night, as I was coming back, back checking, coming back. Uh, trying to defend my own goaltender my own defenseman took a run at one of their players trying to hit him missed him and brought his stick up in an effort to probably hit the opponent in the face missed him hit me in behind and knocked out five of my teeth so my own player did it by accident but I blame myself in a way because I should not have been playing the defensive part of the (laughs) game I should have been up trying to score goals uh, any um, other injuries uh, that uh, you sustained? You know, hockey's a rough sport. Well, just really the, I mean, a lot of minor ones, but the other major one, which a lot of people still remember here in Vancouver, is uh, in about 1976, I was back-checking again, and for some reason I slipped, whether I stepped on a uh, piece of debris on the ice or what, I don't know, but I was right in front of my own net, and I fell and slid into my own net, now, it's a bit complicated to explain on tape, but the middle of the net had been broken, if you will, and there was a sharp, jagged part sticking up, which shouldn't have been there, and I slid backwards into that, and so my hamstring was impaled by this part of the net, and uh, I bet you there was, well, certainly there was blood all over the place, and I think there was 200 stitches to close the wound, but... At one point, I could tell that they were nervous on the ice with so much blood spewing out of my leg that uh, they thought I might die right there on the ice. So I could tell there was panic around me, and the trainer finally got his belt off and put a turnkey on the top of my leg to stop some of the bleeding. But I know it was a scary moment for a lot of people, but I recovered from that. And uh, I guess my thought in terms of injuries was that if I never went near heavy traffic, if I skated on the periphery... (laughs) of the play and never went near the puck or any of the traffic zones you wouldn't get injured um, not so much anymore but certainly I know during uh, sort of the 70s hockey there was uh, a lot of fighting if you will uh, I, don't, I know that uh, I'm sure you didn't tell your children that you were a big fighter uh, back in uh, the day but I'm sure you had a few tussles and uh, maybe you can tell us about one of your more memorable ones 
Well, I don't know if I had that many memorable ones. I, I did get into a lot of fights, mostly, and I don't mean this in a funny way, mostly by self-defense. It seemed like I was probably an irritating kind of player who went into the corners and maybe had my elbows up and seemed to annoy uh, the op opposition where they would want to fight with me. But I suppose one uh, time John Ferguson, who was a big fighter with Montreal and whom I had played with in the Montreal organization, a couple of years later, now I'm playing against John Ferguson, and I'm with Toronto. He's still with Montreal. And for some reason, uh, he had recognized that I had been in a couple of fights the previous game. And uh, I suppose he thought, well, I'll show this young guy that he's the kingpin in terms of fighting. So the puck went into the corner. I went in and touched it first, and he already had a two-minute delayed penalty, if this isn't too confusing on tape. So I knew that as soon as I touched the puck, the whistle was going to go. And I thought that would be the end of the play. Well, I touched the puck, the whistle went, but John jumped on my back and started to pummel me. And Mike Pellick, my old buddy from the Leafs, jumped on his back and basically saved my life. But in the quick flourish and, and number of punches that were thrown, I had blood coming out of my ear. I lost a filling in my molar. I went to the penalty box and pretended like I was okay, but uh, I'm not sure if that's memorable or not. But anyway, it was uh, uh, he was a heavyweight, and uh, he wanted to sort of teach me a lesson. And he did. It sounds like he did. Uh, I read as well that you went to Japan, uh, I believe, uh, right around 1980 or so. Um, tell us a bit about that. Obviously, that was... Um, I don't think uh, many guys at the time were doing uh, moves like that. And uh, tell us, you know, a different culture, different language. Now, a lot of the players, when they finished their NHL career, would go to Europe, I suppose, would have been their first choice, and might have even been my first choice at the time. But at any rate, uh, an opportunity came up uh, in Japan, and I thought, why not Shogun? The book Shogun and the movie Shogun was in vogue at the time, and uh, I was reading Shogun. In fact, some of the guys in the team, I'm a slow reader, and Shogun, if you remember that book, is quite thick. So it took me the whole season to read it. So some of the guys in the team were starting to call me Shogun when I was still with Vancouver. At any rate, uh, I went to Japan, and you're quite right. It was a, uh, a bit of a culture shock, but we were well looked after by the management of the team in terms of schools for, you, for the kids and for uh, automobiles and how to get around and visas and uh, accommodation. We were well looked after, so uh, we felt comfortable that way. But yeah, in terms of the language, um, at that point I decided to take it seriously and try to learn some Japanese. And we had a housekeeper come to live with us, a young lady who wanted to learn English. And I would spend time with her teaching her English, and she would spend time with me teaching me Japanese. The guys on the team were, it's that senpai kohai system where the young guys have to do whatever the older players want. And so I would take a younger player just about not every day or maybe three times a week after lunch and say, you have to talk to me for a half an hour or 45 minutes. So I would force them to talk to me. I bought a book and somehow got my hands on about 60 hours worth of tapes, discs, if you will, and they were uh, in conjunction with the, with the book. And so I would read the book, listen to the tapes, and study Japanese as much as I could that way. And, of course, I played on a team with, say, 30 Japanese players and only one or two other people who spoke English. So you were forced to speak Japanese to a certain extent. So, anyway, I thought I made great progress after a three-year period, and I felt pretty comfortable with Japanese. Hmm. 
um, just uh, maybe to wrap up, uh, obviously you've uh, gone on to probably bigger, not, not necessarily bigger and better things, but certainly uh, yeah, I can see um, looking around the office here, quite a success. Uh, what's life after hockey been like? Is it, um, I imagine uh, it would have been quite uh, sort of a high point in your life playing in the NHL. What has it sort of been like afterwards? Well, every, a lot of people seem to have difficulty making that adjustment. Uh, even today, being a member of a couple of alumni, you keep reading uh, the material whereby the players of today are still having difficulty making that transition, which surprised me because, first of all, the money is so much better now. So you think of players retiring with, I don't know, 5 or $10 million in their bank account. You think they'd be uh, having an easy time making that transition. But I keep hearing no. A lot of them end up getting divorced because they can't handle the, the new life. The wife, I guess, takes half of what they've got, and uh, the rest of it disappears pretty quickly. So they end up with no money, I hear, and uh, not being very fulfilled. I didn't seem to have that problem for some reason. I don't know why that is, but I, I did do some radio and television broadcasting with regards to hockey and, of course, the Japanese experience. So perhaps those two... Uh, things that happened to me after the NHL career perhaps eased me into retirement and I think the fact that I've been fairly successful in my other endeavors whether it be real estate or the brokerage business uh, has certainly helped so it's nice to feel that you're somewhat successful and still making money and that uh, eases uh, the transition I guess so I haven't found it all that difficult hmm. Uh, do you still keep in touch with uh, any of the hockey players, or do you, are you involved with, uh, I know the, you're in Vancouver, obviously, I know in, uh, the Canucks have various uh, golf events and uh, alumni events. Are you still involved in that at all? To a certain extent, I am. I'm obviously a member of the Canuck alumni, the Vancouver Canuck alumni, and the Toronto Maple Leafs alumni, but I do live here in Vancouver, and so I don't really play hockey with the alumni. They have a team, and they travel around the province for sure, uh, playing games and trying to raise money. I don't do that, but I do play in as many of the golf tournaments and go to any of the other fundraising events as I can. So there are luncheons and uh, different uh, elimination draws, all geared to making money for, for charity and to help some of the players who haven't been successful after hockey. So I do what I can in that regard. And, and plus, we do get tickets given to us for the uh, hockey games. We have an alumni suite, which holds about 14 or 15 players. So I go there as often as I can and fraternize with, with my old colleagues. Hmm. Well, thanks for spending some time with us this morning. I know you've got a busy day. Thank you very much. <laughs>